Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners, ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than Home Threads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. Home Threads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home Threads, love where you live. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. So I think I mentioned either last week or a couple of weeks ago that I was going to start having some guests on the show. And I think it's a great way to bring up some different topics some different areas of discussion that I don't have as much expertise in. And so today I do have a guest and we are going to be talking about children's mental health because concerns about children's mental health have been on the incline since even before COVID. And so this is a great topic to dive into with today's guest, Dr. Nicole Birkins. As a licensed clinical psychologist with advanced degrees in psychology, education, and nutrition, Dr. Birkins is the world's leading holistic child psychologist. She has dedicated her 25-year career to providing parents with research-based strategies that get to the root of children's attention, anxiety, mood, and behavior challenges so they can reach their highest potential. She runs a multidisciplinary evaluation and treatment clinic and is a best-selling author, published researcher, award-winning therapist, media expert, and experienced mother of four. Welcome, Dr. Birkins. It's so nice to have you on the podcast today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. So you are a mother of four. I just want to talk about this for a minute because I'm a mother <laughs> of three. So um, tell me a little bit about your kids. How old are they now? And Yeah, so my kids are older now. They are 15, 17, almost 18, uh, 19, and almost 22. So yes, I've got two still in high school, two in college. um, And I can honestly say that 
we're busy as parents at every single stage. The busy just feels and looks different depending on, um, you know, where, where they're at developmentally, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's awesome to be able to take the things that I'm talking about and telling other parents to do and analyze them for myself and put them into practice. Um, that's probably the most humbling part of, of the whole thing for me. I couldn't agree with you more. I, you know, when my kids were toddlers, mine were really close together, 20 months apart. I had a oldest and then twins. Mm -hmm. And I thought toddlerhood was busy and it was, it was crazy because you can't sit down and you're just constantly going, but now, and we're getting back out into the world again, but Uh at this age range where they're in like middle childhood and we're just constantly running, I've got kids in all kinds of sports and activities and we're going right back into that again. So it's just busy in a different way for sure. It is. And there's so much, you know, judgment and all kinds of things that we do, especially as moms. And now having lived through all the different stages, I can say we're, we're all busy. It just looks and feels different, but no one, you know, it, it, it's, and, and it's, it's great. You know, one of the greatest joys that I have now as my kids are getting older is sort of stepping back and watching what they decide to do and the choices that they make for their lives. And um, I know that can be anxiety provoking for lots of parents when their kids get to those older ages, but I just find it really fun to watch them sort of take off and see where they go in life. Yeah, I'm just starting that. It is really amazing to see the work that you put in and see that it's starting to take hold and what they're doing. It's amazing. I love it. Okay, so we are going to talk about children's mental health because children's mental health has been suffering. And Dr. Birkins sent some really sobering information about the state of children's mental health today. According to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, hospitals around the country saw a 31% increase in 12 to 17-year-old kids seeking help for their mental health and a 24% increase for kids ages 5 to 11. Dr. Birkins, can you enlighten us about these statistics a little bit, offer some insight? And I don't want to assume, but I'm guessing the lack of social connection and other outlets has contributed to this during the pandemic. Yeah, it's a tough time for so many kids for lots of different reasons. I mean, if we look at the bigger picture context, there was already, we were seeing an increase in the number of kids with mental health related kinds of challenges, even before the pandemic. That has been a trend for the last decade, for sure, of just higher levels of anxiety and depression and behavioral challenges um, you know, that we're seeing in the younger kids. So this was already a trend. And then the pandemic sort of put that trend on steroids. Um, and I think you know, a helpful way to think about this, at least from what the research is showing thus far. And, you know, we'll see 10 years out, we're going to have a much better, um, you know, hindsight picture of all of this. But from what the data shows now, kids who were really doing okay prior to the pandemic have continued to do relatively well. They've been able to be pretty resilient, navigate the challenges of this time. But for kids who already were struggling, in the areas of mental health or maybe with neurodevelopmental kinds of issues or we're kind of borderline, we're maybe just hanging on before, the pandemic has really, really exacerbated things for those kids. And so we have, we've seen an increase in the number of kids presenting to emergency rooms throughout the country. Um, Everything from parents exasperated with a child's behavior and feeling like they're out of control and not knowing what to do to um, kids with suicidality to kids experiencing major anxiety and panic. 
Um, schools have seen an increase, even though they haven't necessarily been in person with the kids. Counseling departments in schools have seen a huge number of calls and you know, uh, increased concerns from students and from parents. And certainly as an outpatient mental health provider, my clinic is seeing what all of my colleagues around the country are reporting and even really around the world that waiting lists are long, the phone is ringing off the hook, parents really concerned about their kids, kids calling for themselves. We know suicide hotlines and just mental health hotlines in general. Um, many, many more um, concerns coming into those. So we know that this period of time has been really tricky for a lot of kids and has exacerbated issues that were already present. And anxiety is the big one and depression as well in our preteens, teens, and young adults. And for younger kids, it's anxiety and it's also just um major increase in behavioral challenges, just dysregulated behaviors and parents going, help, I don't have the strategies and the resources to be able to deal with this. Um, so let's talk about anxiety and depression a little bit. In, in a lot of my audience does have younger kids. Some of them will have younger kids and some teens, but um, they're mostly of younger kids. So let's talk about what does that look like in the younger kids? What should parents be looking out for? When is kind of that cusp where it's time to um, try to get some professional um, assistance versus just trying to work on some things at home? Yeah, I'll answer that second part first, because I think this is a question I get asked a lot. And what I tell parents is, you know, you don't need to have a diagnosis or an evaluation to seek out some support and help. And parents should do that whenever anything with a child gets to the point where you feel like I'm kind of out of tools or strategies for handling this. That doesn't mean that your child has a diagnosable condition. It just means that sometimes as parents, we need some third-party insight or strategies or supports you know, to help our kids through whatever it is that's going on or to help ourselves. So that's, that's sort of the answer to that question is if you're feeling like what's going on with your child, even if you don't know if it would maybe rise to the level of a diagnosis if you feel like it's getting in the way of life for your child, it's getting in the way of your ability to feel like you know how to parent your child, reach out for some support you know, and strategies. Um, what do these things look like in younger kids? Mental health issues, by and large, look like a lot of emotional and behavioral dysregulation in kids. So anxiety, sort of the classic signs of anxiety are a child who maybe is acting clearly more fearful, more hesitant of things, more clingy, not wanting mom and dad to leave, not wanting to separate, maybe nighttime fears, um, scared of, of leaving the house or doing things that they you know, used to do. It can look like um, physical complaints, headaches, tummy aches, things like that. Those are the classic symptoms. But I know many young children where anxiety shows up in what we would call quote unquote challenging behaviors or behavior problems. Kids who now suddenly are wired and hyper and impulsive or you know, acting out, becoming more aggressive or just melting down more, that absolutely can be a manifestation of anxiety, particularly in younger kids. Our toddlers, our preschoolers, our early elementary kids, they don't yet have the cognitive capabilities and the communication capabilities to even really know what they're experiencing, let alone communicate that. So I think anytime you're noticing as a parent more of a ramping up of those types of things, you go, hmm, what might be going on here? And particularly in the case of 
you know, kids who are experiencing maybe some depression, but really what we're talking about these young ages is more anxiety. It can be easy as an adult to go, oh, they're just being a pistol or they're just, you know, creating problems when really when we step back and go, okay, might this be anxiety? Are they feeling more overwhelmed, more uncertain, more just um, anxious about things? Suddenly that can put things into perspective for us to handle it in a different way and to recognize what's really going on. And there's been a ton of that. For kids of all ages, even our ones that are little and maybe not yet in school during this pandemic, the whole situation has created a massive amount of uncertainty for all of us to deal with. And that is absolutely showing up in the behavior of a lot of kids. Stay tuned because after the break, we're going to get into a lot more tips about helping kids with their mental health. Armour makes getting dressed easy. With a clothing rental membership from Armoire, build the perfect wardrobe with brands that are high quality, unique, and recommended just for you. All you have to do is take a five-minute style quiz and select items from your dynamic, personalized closet. The styles show up at your door in as little as two days. Then when you're ready for new clothes, just swap them out for more new-to-you styles. My favorite thing about Armoire is all the different style and occasion options from casual to athleisure to night out, work formal, work casual, a total of eight different occasions, three weather options, and 11 categories, including accessories, outerwear, and blazers, just to name a few. With Armoire, you can always have something new to wear without the hassle and closet clutter. You know the feeling. You open your closet, it's full, but you have quite literally nothing to wear. You're bored with everything in there. Enter Armoire. Armoire allows you to rent high-quality designer clothes for every occasion. Whether you're planning your outfit for date night, packing for a conference, or in need of a gown for a black tie event, you will be the best-dressed person in the room. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off the first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash parenting. That's armoire.style. A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash parenting to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important. But did you know indoor air quality can be up to 100 times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. 
www.thepurpleshift.com. Now that we're back, we're going to get right back to the interview with Dr. Nicole Birkins. They can feel our, our own struggles and anxieties and things, and so they can feed off of that too, even if they're not really out in the world yet. That's right. And their routines have probably changed too. You know, suddenly like, wait a second, what, what are my parents doing home all the time? Or why can't we go do the normal things? Like young ones, especially thrive on routine and man have normal routines been disrupted. And now, you know, we kind of thought we were getting back to some of that. And now in some places that's changed again. And so I think just for all of us as parents to recognize the toll that that takes, um, and again, that doesn't mean that a child has, you know, a diagnosable disorder or has some kind of condition. It means that this is a period of time for all of us, adults and kids, where uncertainty is really at the forefront. And that's showing up for us in lots of ways in our emotions and our behaviors. Yeah. Um, and I just want to mention this for, um, for a second, just because I remember when I was in school and we were talking about depression in children. And um, from what I remember, I was taught that depression looks different in teens than it does in adults, but a lot of times it comes out as anger. Yes. And so it's like what you're talking about a lot of that, like behavioral stuff that, um, you know, where they're just kind of being a pistol, as you said, like kind of getting into trouble and doing all kinds of a lot of anger that it comes out that way. But, um, but they really could be feeling very, um, very depressed inside and it's coming out that way. Yeah. And that stuff shows up in kids in lots of different ways. And often, you know, that's why the real issue isn't pinpointed because it's like, it just looks like they're being a behavior problem, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, which I hate that term. It's not a, you know, but that's how a lot of people think of it is, uh, you know, they're just being a problem. They're, you know, having all these issues and it's like, what's really going on? Hormones, they like talking up the hormones. That's right. Or a lot, you know, and I mean, especially for our preteens and teens, like, for most of us, we wouldn't go back and relive some of those years for anything. Those are tough years regardless. Those are years of just a lot of change and uncertainty just because of the developmental phase of life that those kids are in. And then the pandemic's thrown, you know, a huge monkey wrench into all of that too, just at the time when our preteens and teens are in that phase of development where they are driven to start to be separate from us, to have more control, to make more choices, to be more aligned with their friends than us. All of that stuff that maybe drives us nuts as parents, but is totally normal for them to do. Their whole developmental path has been disrupted by the pandemic too, with not being able to do their activities, not being able to have their same social connections. And so I look at it as, you know, both a parent and a mental health professional. And I go, this is totally normal that so many of our kids would be having some adjustment difficulties and be showing some of these challenges. It's not that there's anything wrong with any of them or any of us. It's we're having a really normal response to a very abnormal situation. And I think that's an important framework for people to have in their minds. Yeah, that's really important. I like that. Um, so what should parents be aware of? Well, we kind of talked about this and look out for, um, but how can we support the kids that they need through their mental health struggles? If you have any tips for parents to kind of work on at home or keep in mind, which you kind of touched on, but then um, to support them in more of a professional way if they need to go that route. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing for kids at any point, but especially right now, um, is to focus on relationship building, to focus on being there for our kids, to focus on keeping strong connection with them, even those kids who seem like they want to push us away and they don't, you know, they don't want mom or dad or, you know, whoever else there with them to continue to open the door to that and let them know that we're there for them, spend quality time 
with them. That doesn't mean every minute of every day, but it means having some quality time with them, um, keeping lines of communication open. I think that's really key during this time. And at any point when we are noticing things that are concerning with our kids, that we're keeping those lines of communication open and bringing that up in a very observation kind of way, not a, you know, what's wrong with you? Or are you feeling anxious? Or are you having issues? But to say, you know, here's what I've noticed. I've noticed that, you know, you spend most of your time in your room now, aren't really coming out and joining with the rest of us to do anything. Or I've noticed that you're not really interested in some of the activities that you need to do. Or I've noticed that, you know, you're getting frustrated really quickly with your schoolwork. Like, that's what I'm seeing. I'm wondering, you know, what do you think? Are you noticing that? To just really keep those lines of communication open and to focus on good communication, um, good relationship building uh, with our kids, that is far more important right now than academics or anything else that may be going on. And that's one of the biggest ways we can um, support their their mental health. If we have a concern about our child that rises to the level of like, hmm, maybe we should look at getting some professional support with this, um, reach out to the people that you know in your community. Maybe you know somebody um, already that you could have that you could meet with, with the child. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're like, I've never tapped into that world of resources. Start with the school counselor. Start with the pediatrician. Say, hey, here's some concerns. Is there someone that you recommend that we could meet with? Um, and be very open with your child about doing that, you know, and say, Hey, I've got some concern. I feel like maybe I'm not handling this in the best way. I want to learn, you know, some skills for doing a better job to support you with this. So we're going to see, you know, so-and-so just to learn how to handle that better. That's a really supportive way of going about that as opposed to saying, I think something's wrong. We need to get you in to see, you know, a doctor or professional, especially with, you know, kids who are resistive to the idea of that, you know, older kids, um, or even some young kids who are like, I'm not going to see anybody to put it on ourselves as the parent. Gosh, I, you know, I, like I need, I need some I tools like and that's a great way to open the door to it. Yeah. I remember we were, my, um, husband and I were getting divorced and I talked to the kids and I asked, you know, if they would like to see someone, I just opened it up. I'm like, if you'd like someone to talk to, no, 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 don't want to do it. Don't want to go. Like they just, and I'm like, I have a really nice person. I had a, I have a male therapist who works with kids. I offered to let them see him, my boys see him. No, no, don't want to do it. So I like that, you know, mm-hmm. putting it more on yourself. Right. I, I need to know how to parent you through this and help you through this and, you know, maybe get them. They seem to be doing okay, but just fine with it, but you know, that's yeah. a great well, strategy. Yeah, because most kids will say no. It's an unknown. How, what a weird thing, right? And yeah, a kid's going to talk to someone. Have to, you what? Go see a stranger and like talk to them about how I'm feeling. Like, and, and depending on, you know, shows they've watched or kids they're friends with, they may have all kinds of, you know, preconceived ideas about that. And so I think it's totally, so I think that's a really important point for parents who maybe, you know, have some concerns and are like, we really need to see somebody don't offer that to your child and expect that they're going to want to do it, but to say, Hey, here's what we're going to do. And here's why, but also empower them around, Hey, we're going to do, you know, a few sessions. If it doesn't seem like it's a good fit, we'll find somebody else because that fits really important. You know, sometimes the first person you have your kids talk to not a great fit. So I think just really keeping communication open around that and, you know, making sure that if you're seeing things that are concerning and you feel like you've run out of tools to support your child, that you're accessing some strategies and support, whatever that might look like. 
Very nice. And I'm also going to go back to touch on, cause we've had this too through this pandemic is just, you know, my oldest is 12 and he had somewhere, he was just like, just crying and falling apart. And I'm like, what's happening? Well, he can't verbalize that. He's just not able to talk about what's going on. And he's just like, I don't know. <laughs> and we finally got to the bottom of that. He was just very anxious about school. There were a lot of expectations. They were constantly changing. They were constantly shifting. Everything's online. He can't really go in and talk to the teacher in person. You know, he couldn't get to the resources that were, he was supposed to be able to, to do his work. And it just was, it was really anxiety provoking for him. And he's a perfectionist about his schoolwork and he was really struggling. And I ended up pulling him out and homeschooling him for the last six weeks, because yeah. I just, I was like, I can't have you this anxious we'll figure it out together but you yeah. know they'll just fall apart and they won't be able to tell you exactly what it is or why they're just not able to connect and articulate no. very well with that so and I think yeah that's such an important point even for a 12 year old sometimes even teenagers they don't know they just know they're feeling like they can't manage what's happening and again I think you know some of the headlines around these statistics over the last year have been, we've got a huge increase in mental illness. And that, I really just want to reframe that and say, no, what we have is a large amount of the population of kids and adults who are having a very normal response to a very abnormal situation. And that is really important to reframe that. There's nothing wrong with you as a parent or nothing wrong with your child if there is an experience of heightened anxiety, of overwhelm, of melting down more easily. In fact, we've all had those moments over the last 18 months. It would be weird if we didn't. <laughs> I'm actually more concerned about kids who seem like totally oblivious to you know, the entire thing. So I think that's just a really important thing to keep in mind. Yeah, very nice. What can parents do to support their children's mental health as they're heading back to school? Yes. Well, it's looking like it's going to be somewhat of perhaps another unpredictable school year, right? As much as before, we're oh. hearing that all over, like we might be in, we might be out. We're That's right. To out again. Yeah. So here's my um, advice for parents around all of that. And it, it echoes what I've been saying really for the last 18 months of all of this. There, there's sort of a formula to anxiety. Anxiety happens when there is a high level of uncertainty and we don't feel strong in our capability to handle it. So when a child is experiencing a lot of uncertainty, are we going to school? Are we not? What's it going to be like? You know, all these things. And they don't have confidence in their ability to handle the things that might come up. They're going to feel increased anxiety. Where we tend to intervene in these situations, like going back to school, is on the uncertainty side. And we tend to say things to kids like, it's going to be fine. Yeah, we're going to stay in school or, you know, it's not going to be a big deal or, you know, th those kinds of things. Try to reassure them that the whole thing is going to be okay. Well, kids are smart, even little kids. They know that we actually can't guarantee that, right? They know, especially living through the last 18 months with all the adults who told them, oh no, you know, you'll be going back to school, right? So they know. And instead, where we need to intervene to support reduction in anxiety and help kids stay mentally as strong as they can is on the side of capability strengthening their sense of being capable to handle whatever might come up. And that sounds like instead of saying, don't worry about it, it's going to be fine. You're going back to school. They're not going to close again. It sounds like, you know, something might happen. I don't know if you're going to be able to stay in school 
all semester. But here's what I do know. Whatever happens, you will be able to handle it, or we will get through it together, or let's think about what we did last year. We'll do that plan again if that happens. What we're doing there is instead of trying to dismiss the anxiety or make it seem like that uncertainty isn't there, we're saying, yeah, it is. It is there. That's a part of life. We don't have control. Let's focus where we do have control, which is our ability to handle challenges, problems, uncomfortable things. And that is a skill set that is so important and valuable to them right now in this moment, but will serve them well throughout their life. So as you're dealing with these uncertainties and kids feeling more anxious or more distressed or dysregulated about heading back into school, focus on that competency piece. Focus on that. Here's how we'll get through it. Let's make a plan for how we'll do X, Y, or Z if that happens. I know you can handle it. I'll be here to help you. That's where we want to focus. I love that. And it's so true. It's definitely important to focus on, you know, I talk about that too with, with parents, like to not make a promise that you can't right. keep that you don't know. Like, don't say we're going to the park if you don't know you're going to the park later that day. Like, you just never want to, because they do know, and then they learn that they That's right. trust our word. So yeah. focusing with them on what I had another with my one of my sons today, we moved, and everything's new. And now they, they are back in school for the first time in 18 months, and it was a brand new school, brand new city, brand new everything. And the first yeah. day of school, he just wasn't feeling it, and he was crying. And you know, and I was like, let's talk about this. What's going on? You know, we will figure this out together. There are other options. This is not your only option. So, you know, what would you like? What would be your perfect scenario? Let's do some troubleshooting together. So letting them know that there are, you know, that not just that they can do it, but just that, you know, we're there to support and work through, through that. It just gives them that, you know, that foundation that they're really looking for when they feel like the bottom is, might fall out again. That's right. And it's a much more resilient place for them to be because uncertainties are going to be there right now. There's all of the inherent uncertainty with the continuing pandemic, but in life in general, there's lots of things we can't control, you know, even on the most mundane, normal day, (laughs) you never know what's going to be around the next corner. Right. And so for kids to be able to go through life with more of an orientation towards, okay, whatever happens, I have a support system. I have some skills. I have gotten through these things before. I can handle this. And that is a message and a way of approaching this that you can use even with young kids. Um, Obviously, the language that we use and the way that we problem solve that is different depending on the developmental stage. But we can start with this even with our toddlers and preschoolers with how we approach the things that they seem nervous or hesitant about. We can approach it in this way. Yeah, very nice. Um, and I think we already talked about this. I'm going to ask you, just in case there's something else you want to add on to it, because we kind of touched on that already, um, but in case there's something a little bit different that you might want to add, but how can we help them manage this potential bouncing back and forth? Like you're in school, you're out of school, you're in school, you're out of school. Somebody got sick in school, and so now everybody's home for two weeks. Um, okay. Is there anything in particular in addition that we could potentially help with that? I think we inoculate them ahead of time and tell them that it might happen. Mm-hmm. You know, we say, hey, this might happen. We, none of us knows. It might happen. So let's do some pre-thinking about how we'll handle it if it does and laying out some plans, which now let's face it as parents, we've got some of these plans in our back pocket because we've had to live like this, you know, for the last 18 months. So saying if 
you do get sent home from school for two weeks because a classmate is positive and that's the policy. Here's how we'll handle that. Here's who will stay home with you or here's what you'll do for school or here's what it'll be. Or if everybody goes back to remote learning, here's the plan for that. And that way kids are prepared and they know. So if it does happen, they're not totally thrown off by it. And they have the security of knowing, oh, right, we've already talked about a plan for that. And they can sort of know what to expect. That That's the key there. Very nice. Um, okay. So the other thing I know we really wanted to touch on, I really would love to touch on, is screen time. Ah, uh, yes. Because I think a lot of us parents have had this, but you know, they're schooling online. So they were expected to be online all day long, but they would go right from school to being online with their friends. Um, it was the only social outlet that they had. And so, you know, a lot of those parameters and boundaries that we used to have around that went completely out the window. And it has become a really big habit with a lot of kids, mine included, and we're really trying to curb that, but it's tough because it's been a habit for the last year and a half. They are getting out, but you know, the first thing they want to do when they walk in the door from school is get on their iPads. First thing they want to do when they get on home or when they get up in the morning is get on their screens. And so, um, trying to rein that back in, what, what, um, advice do you have for us to work on this? This has been a tough one for everybody. And, you know, so I'll say a few things that hopefully will be reassuring, and then we can get into a couple of specific strategies. The first thing is just knowing that everybody's in the same boat with this and that that's pretty normal given the circumstances. The second thing is when we look at the data on this, yes, initially it looks appalling. You know, kids' screen time is increased, you know, 100%, you know, or more. And initially we go, oh my gosh, this is so bad for kids. But when we dig more into the data, what it shows is that by and large, kids increase in screen time has been school related or learning related, which is a good thing. That's a quality thing. And secondly, it's been used to maintain social contact and social relationships, which is also a good thing. So the big thing with screen time And I hope that this shift as a result of COVID sticks with all of us as parents is it's not just about the amount of time. More important, according to the research, is what kids are doing on their devices and how they're using them. And I think that is reassuring to all of us because in the midst of this very unusual 18 months, it's been really healthy and appropriate for kids to use more time on their devices for things related to supporting their mental health, supporting their education. So the quality piece, the what are they doing piece is key. And that actually is where we want to focus more of our attention, even coming out of the pandemic, as opposed to arbitrary time limits that really don't apply anymore. You know, back five years ago, even The recommendations were, you know, a certain amount of time that kids should spend on them. Well, even before COVID, kids are spending a lot more time on their devices for school itself. So if the old rule was going to stand that kids shouldn't be spending more than two hours a day on their device, well, kids are, you know, through their two hours just in the first half of the school day. So instead, we want to think about a few things. We want to think about 
is the amount of time that they're spending on screens displacing or taking the place of time that they ought to be spending on other life activities that are important and valuable? That's a key question. So I'm less concerned about knowing you know, that a kid is spending, let's say, six hours a day on screens and more concerned about understanding the six hours they're spending on them what are they doing, number one? Is it things that is, are supporting their development as a human being, or is it stuff that's leading to potential problems for them? And I also want to know, of that time they're spending, are they getting enough time to do other things? Are they participating in the family unit, doing their chores? Are they maintaining their hygiene and their self-care? Are they doing other things to engage with human beings besides just being on the computer? Are they maintaining good, healthy sleep routines? So those are the things that I'm interested in. Do we have a balance there in this child's life? And that's really how we want to be, um, to be thinking about it. The number of hours, yes. When we get to excessive amounts, a kid spending the majority of their daytime hours on screens and not doing anything else, that's problematic for a number of reasons. But I think for most kids now, like you said, they've just gotten into some habits around this is what I do. I wake up and I go on here, I come home and I do this. And so we want to be having good communication with them about sort of resetting some of those routines. What are we prioritizing right now um, as a family and in terms of how we use our time? And, and that'll help people get back on a good track with that, I think. Very nice. Well, thank you so much. That was really helpful because that's one of the things I'm just like, I hate when they get up in the morning and first thing I do is pick it up. I started putting them away so they had to do other stuff first. Well, I think actually that's a great point. And one of the ways, and it, it surprises me how many parents, um, make this a lot more difficult for themselves than they need to, because one of the simplest things to do is to utilize the parental controls um, that are available, yeah. even for basic things like what time do the devices turn on in the morning? You know, especially for younger kids, I want teens to have to start to navigate and figure that out because they need to develop, you know, ways of doing that for themselves. But for young kids, you can use either the things, you know, if, if it's a device that comes with some things, you can use something like circle, which is a great option to easily set up parameters. So the devices, even if they have them, they don't, they can't access them until iPads after. have that right built in too. You can't, you can set the hours of access. That's right. Them, yeah. That's right. And after school, you know, you can set those parameters. And so parents who come in and they say to me, I don't know how to get them off of these. Things. I'm like, let's make this easy without power struggles have clear communication with your kids. Nighttime is a great example, you know, to say devices won't be used after this time because your sleep is really important for your physical health, your mental health, your ability to function the next day. So devices will shut off at, you know, 9 p.m. or whatever's appropriate depending on their age and developmental level. And you don't have to fight with them to try to get the device. You just set the settings so that they, they turn off. And I think that's a really important thing for parents to be aware of, that you can talk with your kids about how that's going to be, have good open communication, and then use some of this technology to make the implementation of it easier. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. I just, it's when I forget and I wake up and I'm like, oh, they're on it. Shoot. I forgot to take that last night. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yes. Which is where the parental controls come in. That's, that's on me. You know, <laughs> right. you don't have to think about it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on today. This was amazing. Some really, really great tips and advice for helping our kids through this, um, just in general, pandemic or not. And then obviously with all these extra stressors that we're under right now, um, it's very, very helpful. Do you have um, a website or social media that you would like or any other thing else you would like to let parents know about where to find you if they want to know more? Sure, absolutely. My website is drberkins.com, D-R-B-E-U-R-K-E-N-S.com. And it's got lots of great um, articles, videos, free resources, all kinds of things for families if they're interested in more uh, of the topics we talked about today. And then on Instagram and Facebook, I'm at Dr. Nicole Berkins and share lots of these things there too. Um, And then my podcast is The Better Behavior Show where we get into all of these things as well. So if these were interesting to any of you and you want to come... Join me and get more info. Feel free to access any of those. Very nice. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So I hope everyone has enjoyed the show today, getting a little deeper into children's mental health with Dr. Nicole Birkins. I definitely look forward to having more guests on in the future, maybe once a month, but for next week and the next uh, month, we will definitely get back to the regular format of questions. So if you have a parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at yourvillageonline.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.